There's no stopping what you have started until it is complete.
morning, everyone. Welcome to Capital City. One day there'll be no more waiting for our souls. One day there'll be no more children longing for home. One day when the kingdom comes right here where we stand, we will see the promised land. One day there'll be no more lives taken too soon. One day there'll be no more need for a hospital. One day every tear that falls will be wiped by his hand. Hallelujah, there will be healing from this heartbreak. We've been feeling, we'll sing in the darkest night, because we know where the light will go. There will be healing. One day there'll be no more anger left in our eyes. The color of our skin won't cause a One day we'll be family standing hand in hand. We will see the promised land. We will see the promised land. Hallelujah. There will be healing from this heartbreak.
Father, we are here today because of your greatness and what you've done in the work of Jesus Christ. We look forward to his eventual return to this world. We know that you've already rescued us. You've already given us what we need to be able to survive and thrive in this world. But you've also given us so much more. You've given us a purpose outside of ourselves. You've given us the ability to, be, to view you not just a, as a friend, but as our Lord, as our Savior, as our King, a Father. Father, when we want to be able to give you everything that we have, we are ready. We're ready for you to return, but we're also ready to continue every day to do your work. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Are you guys ready? Yes. Okay, now we've been saying this the last couple of days, you know, this is about a revival type of thing. Are you ready? <laughs> so when I say it again, you just say yeah, okay? Are you ready? Yes. Yeah, right. And so we're not just ready for Jesus Christ to return, but we're also ready for the fact that every day that we wake up, we have a purpose and a plan. God has given us a mission. You guys agree with that? Yes. Okay, you're seeming to struggle this a little bit. So that mission is to tell the world about Jesus Christ. That commission that we've been given is something that we can never rest in at all. It's to always do God's work, to always do that vision, that plan, because the world needs to know Jesus Christ. He needs to know, that needs to know what you, that you have a joy and a light inside of you. And we want to make sure as a church, as a family, that we're telling the world about Jesus.
Yeah. 
Would you all be seated? I want to welcome you all to Cap City this morning. Really, really glad you're here. Now, before we move on to a time where we get to hear Bob Russell, just a couple of announcements for you very quickly. One of the resources we have available to everybody who is attached to Capital City Christian Church is Right Now Media. It's an amazing set of Bible studies on video, video-based, for families, for groups, for individuals, for kids. If you want access to Right Now Media, you can use it yourself in your own devotions. You need to make sure to contact Ben Webb, and he can make sure that you have the codes that are necessary to get you in. About 20,000 different Bible studies you have access to through Right Now Media. Next thing, this Thursday, our oasis, which basically means people who are really, really old, right? <laughs> if you're really, really old, way, way older than me, that's humor, okay? If you're a senior, we gather together once a month. It's going to be uh, this, this Thursday, luncheon down in our Family Life Center, okay? The next little piece is our Help Build Hope. Last year, in about an hour and a half, two hours, we built basically the walls for a house that was going to be sent down to Western Kentucky. We're going to do that again this year. I yeah, thank you. That's cool. We're going to need about 75 volunteers. That's going to happen on May 27. And uh, if you want to participate in that, you don't have to be skilled. They've got even hammers for people who don't know what a hammer is. We can, we can help you, okay? But we're going to build another house, at least the walls of a house that's going to be sent down, I believe, to western Kentucky on the 27th. Make sure that you're checking capcity.info, and there'll be sign-ups to be a volunteer for that there. We've had uh, Bob Russell and his son Rusty here for the last couple of days. That's really, really special. Basically, we have two gifts for you this morning. Gift number one is neither Ben nor I will be preaching. Aren't you grateful? Okay. Thank you. Who was that? All right. Gift number two, Bob Russell is going to be preaching. And that really is a treat, guys. Bob was hired by Southeast Christian Church when he was 22 years old to, to be their pastor and through the years led them to be one of the largest churches in the United States. Uh, he's one of my heroes. Um, and in fact, he's still impacting uh, Capital City Christian Church. He wrote a little book called Transition Plan. And the transition plan that we are in the middle of right now was influenced highly by that book. So we get to hear him this morning, and they're going to be back again this evening. Bob and Rusty both will be here uh, preaching this evening. I believe it's at 6.30. I'm going to do like Webb did last night. It's sometime this evening. Just show up. You'll be here. But in any case, Bob, thank you. Come on up. Well, good morning. I have a deep respect for your preacher and uh, for Ben and respect their transition that's going on and have always appreciated this church. And we've enjoyed being here the last couple of nights kind of in a revival preaching through Second Thessalonians. Now, before I begin, I'm, I'm going to answer a question that some of you are asking. I'm 79. And uh, I'm going to be 80 in October, uh, and I know that's old. A friend of mine at Southeast Church in Louisville recently asked, he said, Bob, I'm pre-planning my funeral. Would you be willing to do my funeral? I said, I will, but you better hurry up. 
Not much time. In our study from 2 Thessalonians, we come to the third chapter, and we're going to talk about praying for a healthy church in the last days. Uh, the healing of my grandson a couple of years ago was one of the more dramatic answers to prayer I've ever witnessed. My wife and I were returning from a speaking engagement in Indiana, and Judy was looking through some texts on her phone, and all of a sudden she gasped, and she said, oh, no, Bob, they're intubating Charlie, and she began to weep. Now, my grandson had come down with severe COVID and was in an intensive care in a hospital in Nashville, Tennessee, and they were now putting him on a ventilator. I pulled over to the side of the road, and we wept together and embraced, and we prayed together. And from that day on, we have prayed and pleaded with God for the healing of my grandson. He was in intensive care for 77 days on a ventilator, ECMO machine, dialysis machine. And a doctor told me, Bob, we're down to the need for divine intervention. David Fincher, the president of uh, Bible College in Moberly, Missouri, told me, Bob, I've been traveling all over the country fundraising for the Bible College. I have never seen our brotherhood so united in prayer as they are for Charlie Russell. Now, Jesus promised that there's special power when God's people pray together, that if we ask, we receive. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, it'll be open to us. God does not answer every prayer the way we ask, or else we'd be in charge of the universe, and that would be a bad thing. But I'm so thankful that God heard our cry. And today, nearly two years later, Charlie is functioning well, his lungs are functioning well, and he is almost totally recovered physically and emotionally. And since God answered our prayer, we have been reinforced with the testimony that the prayers of God's people are powerful and effective. Now, I'm telling you, this is a time when the church needs to be in prayer. These are unusual times in which we're living. I think they're desperate times, but they're also glorious times because I think the signs are right that we are nearing the return of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, in this revival, we've been studying the book of 2 Thessalonians, and Paul encourages his readers in this letter to get ready for the Lord's return. He warned them about the coming of a man of lawlessness who would bring chaos to the world. But here in chapter 3, he urges believers to pray for the faithfulness of the church in the midst of the opposition that is coming. Here's what he said, five verses, verses one through five. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people for not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you're, you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and in Christ's perseverance. Now I want you to notice here that Paul instructs us as a church to pray for two things, two needs we have in such a time as this. 
The first is he said, pray that the church would be effective in evangelism. Brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly. The primary purpose of Capital City Christian Church is evangelism. It's the purpose of Jesus. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. You remember that old saying, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That is so simple, but it is so often violated. You ever been to a store and the clerk acts like it's a pain to wait on you? See, if you're the main thing is to sell. Ever go to a Little League baseball game and the manager's so upset with one of the little boys, he chews him out, the little boys cry. Somebody's forgotten the main thing is to have fun. We were on vacation in Gatlinburg some time ago. We went to the pancake factory for lunch. You know what the special was at the pancake factory? Grilled chicken sandwich for lunch. <laughs> Somebody forgot the main thing is pancakes. A university forgets that its goal is to educate and pays millions of dollars for somebody to play sports. Doesn't matter what the grades are as long as we win. Now, I understand that Harvard University has done a better job keeping the main thing the main thing. They focus on education and are not so concerned about their sports and their football team is not very good. And when the Harvard pilgrims are being wiped out again, hosed by the opposition, and the opposing fans are taunting the Harvard fans and jeering, the Harvard student body, I understand, has a counter cheer. And their cheer is, that's all right, that's okay, you're going to work for us someday. That, that's, that's keeping the main thing the main thing. Now, as a church, we've got to remember that our main thing is evangelism. Jesus said in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The primary purpose of the church is to baptize people into Jesus Christ and then to educate them about Jesus Christ. Introduce them to Jesus, help them get better acquainted. Evangelize the lost, edify the saved. That sounds simple, but so many churches fall victim to mission creep and forget the main thing. Some people in the church think, the church exists to minister to my needs and the needs of my family. Keep me happy. Some think we exist to have a good image in the community. Don't offend anybody. We don't want any bad press. Some think sometimes we exist to build a building. Now, you've got to have buildings, but somehow building the building becomes the main thing rather than a means to an end. Some churches get sidetracked into pushing a political agenda. Now, I'm a patriotic person. I think America is the greatest country in the world. And I think the church ought to take a bold stand on political issues that bleed over into spiritual issues. But some churches get so political, they forget the main thing. Our hope isn't in a political party, it's in Jesus. And politics will always let you down. There's a church sign that reads, when the donkey and the elephant let you down, turn to the lamb. <laughs> and the lamb of God, and exalting him, is our main mission. Some churches think we exist for social action. We're here to serve the community. I saw the announcement this morning. You're, you're building a house for the victims of tornado in western Kentucky. That's good. We got food pantries. We got helping the flood victims, preparing backpacks for underprivileged kids. Those are good. Jesus said, care for the needy and clothe the naked. But that's not your primary mission. Your primary mission 
is to seek and save people who are lost. Your primary mission is to help the world to know that Jesus come, comes to save. Your primary mission is to go to heaven when you die and take as many people with you. Somebody said, when the house is on fire and the kids are asleep in the bed, it's no time to straighten the pictures on the wall. The world and everything in it is going to be burned up. And it's no time to be repairing the deck furniture on the Titanic. Jesus said, how should, the Bible says, how should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So, I would challenge you to pray that the message of Christ will spread rapidly. You know what I think is the number one enemy of evangelism in the church? None of the things I just mentioned. I think the biggest barrier to us being evangelistic is what I would call spiritual isolation. Spiritual isolation. A professor by the name of Mont Smith, professor of New Testament at Hope International University in California, did his doctorate on evangelism at nearby Fuller Seminary. He conducted a very extensive survey with some interesting observations. He discovered that the primary reason people became Christian, the way they became Christian, even in this age of all the talk about attractional churches and missional churches, people primarily become Christian because a friend invites them to come to church. They come to church with a friend they feel fairly comfortable. They come back and slowly they hear the gospel and months later they respond and give their life to Christ. But then he asked them, who invited you to come to church? And the answers were pretty interesting. I'm going to round the figures off. About 40% said they were invited to come to church by somebody who was a Christian for one year or less. About 30% were invited to come to church by somebody who was a Christian for two years or less. The percentage continued to decline, and here's the disturbing statistic. Less than 2% were invited to come to church by somebody who was a Christian for six years or more. Raise your hand if you've been a Christian for six years or more. That's the majority of you. What that survey reveals is the longer we are Christian, the less evangelistic we are. Now, we excuse it by saying, well, the new Christian has more contacts, the new Christian has more enthusiasm, the new Christian hasn't been rebuffed the way we are. But the bottom line is, we quit inviting. We isolate ourselves from the world. Oh, we know how to maneuver in the world of sports, in the world of schools, in business, our community. We can make friends, have casual conversations, have a lot of fun with people in the world, but we don't bring up subject of church lest we make any somebody feel uncomfortable we don't talk about spiritual or any controversy controversial cultural issues lest we perhaps alienate our friends but the apostle paul never lost his zeal for evangelism he didn't graduate beyond being concerned about the lost in romans the ninth chapter verses two and three he said i have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. It broke Paul's heart that there were so many of his fellow Jewish, uh, in the Jewish race who didn't know Christ and were lost without hope. He said, I, I would give up my own salvation if I could just win them. For years I taught a class at church called What We Believe. And one night after a lesson on what is Christianity all about? A college girl came up 
and introduced me to a friend she had brought with her to the class. She said, I, I brought my friend in hopes that she would become a Christian the way I did a year ago. But she has some questions for you. I said, sure. Well, this girl asked me a question about evolution, and I tried to answer that. Then she asked me a question about why God permits so much suffering. I tried to answer that. Then she asked a question about why there are so many different denominations. I tried to answer that, but I could sense she was asking questions not because she had intellectual doubt. She was asking questions because her heart was not softened yet to the gospel. She wasn't ready. So I said to her, would you read this book by Lee Strobel called A Case for Christ? After you read the book, let's talk. She agreed. I then turned to the college girl who had brought her. And I'm telling you, tears were streaming down this girl's cheeks. And she looked away embarrassed and she said, I'm sorry. I just want her to become a Christian so bad I can taste it. And I was convicted. I couldn't remember the last time I wept for somebody who was lost. What about you? You've got family members, neighbors, people you're with every day who have no spiritual commitment to Christ at all. The Bible says they are without hope, without God in the world, and they're destined for hell. And you have the hope of heaven. When is the last time you prayed for somebody like that? When is the last time you invited them to come to church. If we're going to be a healthy church in this desperate time, we need to recapture that passion for evangelism. The Bible says, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And you know what? It ought to be easy for you to invite people to come to church. You've got this great church, wonderful music, Beautiful facility, easy to come in, great preaching week by week, people you, you love, wonderful atmosphere, and you ought to find it easy to invite. So I want to challenge you. Every one of you ought to have a project, somebody you care about who has no spiritual commitment, and you're going to pray for them every day. You're going to look for opportunities to talk to them about the Lord, or at least invite them to church. Do you... you Pray that the message of Christ would spread rapidly. Here's the second thing that Paul said we should pray for. Pray for protection against persecution. Verse 2, he says, Pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. The Apostle Paul was frequently the victim of abuse from his adversaries. In the city of Lystra, he was dragged outside the city in stone because they hated his message. In Philippi, he was scourged and thrown in an inner dungeon because he threatened their affluent lifestyle. In Jerusalem, in the temple, he was assaulted, beaten, and arrested because he was violating the national traditions of Jerusalem. While in prison in Caesarea, he was falsely accused and plotted against. In Rome, he was put in prison where he was neglected and forgotten by his fellow Christians. And Paul said, you pray that we will be delivered from evil and wicked men. Now the church today is incre becoming increasingly unpopular in our world. And if I could project what's going to happen in the future, more and more Christians are going to be opposed. Christians are going to be persecuted. Uh, we've moved as a country in my lifetime 
from being a pro-Christian nation. When I went to school, we read the Bible, had prayer in school. Then we moved to being a neutral nation, separation of church and state. Now we've become a nation that is rapidly becoming hostile to Christian beliefs. About 20 years ago, I wrote a book about our church in Louisville. It was called When God Builds a Church. My publisher lined up some radio and television interviews where I would walk in, be asked softball questions about the book. I walked into a local PBS station, forgetting about their usual liberal bias, and the host of the hostess of the program began that afternoon by saying, our special guest today is the Reverend Bob Russell, minister of the Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, one of the largest churches in the nation. But some say the church is homophobic. Some say the church is anti-Semitic. Some say the church is hostile to women and misogynistic. Some say the church is a cult. We'll be talking about those things when we come right back. <laughs> I didn't want to come right back. I wanted to go right home. <clears throat> and for the next hour and a half, I fielded these hostile questions, these false accusations against our church. And then callers had been lined up attacking our church by things that were untrue. And I walked out of there like a whipped puppy saying, this isn't the same country that I grew up in. It's getting worse. Last month, a trans person shot and killed six people in a Christian school in Nashville. And authorities have yet to release her manifesto explaining her motive for attacking a Christian school. But the day after that, the president's press secretary said she was concerned for the trans community because they were under attack. The victimizer becomes the victim. And it's the church that's more and more under attack. Jesus said, now, if the world hated me, you can expect the world to hate you. You see, we believe some things in the kingdom of God that are becoming counter to the way the world believes. We believe that we're here by divine creation, not evolutionary accident. We believe that God created a man and a woman for marriage, just two genders. We believe that every person has a fallen nature. Regardless of how positive the environment may be, we still gravitate instinctively to evil. We believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Only Jesus died an atoning death on the cross for our sins. Only Jesus came back from the grave. Only Jesus can prove through his power we can do it too. And only Jesus is going to return to this earth and come to reign in righteousness. And that, that, when that occurs, the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus only is Lord. In the meantime, till that happens... There are wicked and evil people in the world who despise the truth. Derek Johnson said, truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. Amen. Paul said, as Christians, you're going to be opposed by wicked and evil men. He didn't say they're really good people just venting. He said the Greek word for wicked means out of place. Wickedness is always out of place from the perspective of God. And we need to pray for your church leaders and for individual Christians to stand firm as the world gets more and more hostile toward Christian faith. I admire Raleigh Gaines, the UK swimmer, who's taken a public stand for women's sports and opposing 
men like Leah Thomas participating in swim competition. But you know, Riley Gaines gets hate mail, physical threats. She's just 23 years old, but she stood firm and not wavered. In recent weeks, she said she received private support from a number of famous athletes. But then she added, at first I felt honored when these elite athletes thanked me. However, she added, these private thanks make them responsible. What she's saying is, it's not enough just to privately support me. They need to speak up publicly. Pray that there be more Christian people take a bold stand. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We are in a spiritual battle and we need the strength and protection for one another. So pray that you will have the courage to stand for truth regardless of opposition. We have a Christian businessman in our church in his mid-40s. He's really talented. He's risen in a large corporation to the vice presidency. But he told me two months ago that he anticipated, he anticipates being canceled by his company. He said they are now requiring that all their executives endorse gay pride events and fly a rainbow flag and endorse what I believe to be immoral behavior. He said, I've just accepted the fact that I'm preparing to be terminated for my stand. I know it's coming. Jesus said, blessed are you when men persecute you, revile you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. And we need to pray for one another that we would stand strong in the face of opposition, whether it comes from business or from within our own family, that we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. Amen. We, uh, I conduct monthly retreats for preachers in my retirement. Once a month, I bring in eight guys. We spend three days together interacting. I call it a time of refreshing. And one of the first retreats, I brought in a group of eight guys from Virginia and one of them was a recent graduate from Duke University named Nabil Karishi. Now, Nabil Karishi uh, is a, a brilliant young man, but at, at this point he had only become a Christian. His parents immigrated to America from Pakistan. And Nabil grew up a strong Muslim. He loved the Muslim religion. He was deeply steeped in what the Muslim beliefs were. But he was paired in medical school with a roommate named David Wood. And David Wood is a strong, courageous Christian who is aggressively evangelistic. And these two were in the same room. And so David Wood began to challenge Nabil about his Muslim faith and try to turn him to Christ. And, Muslim, and, and, and Nabil got angry with David and decided that he was going to study the Bible to prove that David didn't know what he's talking about. But the more he studied the Bible, the more impressed he became with the truth of the Scripture, and the more impressed he became with the superiority of Jesus Christ over Muhammad, and the, the good life and the miracles of Jesus. And it disturbed him, because he knew if he became a Christian, it would mean he'd have to give up everything. He'd have to give up his Muslim faith. He'd have to give up his family. They would renounce him. He'd have to give up his friends. Everything that was, was uh, ingrained in his background. And he began to pray and pray hard that God would reveal to him the truth. And the Muslim people believe that God reveals himself in visions and dreams. 
So he began to pray that God would reveal the truth. If Jesus is the Messiah, give me a vivid dream or vision. And one night, Nabil had a vivid dream. And in the dream, he saw this small, narrow door. And he peeked in through the door, and inside was this brightly lit banquet hall with tables loaded with food, and his friends were sitting around the table, but they weren't eating. And he was so disturbed by that dream, he didn't understand what it meant, and he related it to his friend. And his friend said, Nabil, that's easy to understand. The narrow door is Jesus. He's the only way to salvation. The brightly lit banquet hall is the kingdom of God. And we're not in anything, Nabil, because we're waiting for you. Well, Nabil was so convicted by that, he gave his life to Christ and gave up everything. Here's a picture of Nabil being baptized into Christ. What a transformation this was on his day when he gives his life to Christ, knowing that his sins are forgiven, knowing he has this hope of eternal life. And he forgot, he gave up being studying for a doctor. And he began to study to be an evangelist. And he came to my retreat. We fell in love with him. And Nabil Karishi, I think, is the only non-family member who had a key to our house. When he flew through Louisville, he could stop and stay at our house. And one day he was at our house. It was during the NCAA tournament. And Louisville, I, I apologize, I'm a Louisville fan. I, I, I know it's not a good thing. I'm getting hate mail now from you. I, I, I could, and Louisville was playing Duke in, to go to the Final Four. And Nabil was there, and it hit me. He's a graduate of Duke. I hope he's not an obnoxious UK fan. I mean, an obnoxious Duke fan. And you know, that's the only amen. I got this whole server. But he was an obnoxious Duke fan. We're sitting on the same couch. But somehow we managed to keep our friendship through all of that. But Nabil, when he became a Christian, was so on fire for evangelism. He prayed that God would open the door so he could witness to his Muslim friends. And he was so bold that he and his roommate put on a t-shirt that read, Ask Me About Jesus. And they took their Bibles and they went and stood in the middle of a Muslim convention in Dearborn, Michigan. Now if you know anything about the Detroit area, you know there are thousands of Muslim people there. And here are these two guys saying, Ask Me About Jesus. And so Sometimes those who were asking them questions became hostile and angry, and it resulted in, in the United States of America, Nabil Qureshi and his roommate were arrested for disturbing the peace. And they put Nabil at one end of a row of prison cells and his roommate at the other. And Nabil began to have a pity party. He said, here I'm praying to God to open the door to Muslim people and I get thrown in prison. What good am I doing here in prison? And then it, he was reminded of Acts 16 where Paul and Silas were thrown in jail because of their evangelistic efforts and they didn't have a pity party. They prayed and they sang praises and they converted the jailer. So Nabil said, well maybe there's some jailer, some, some, some prisoner in here who needs to hear the gospel. So he called out to his roommate on the other end of the row of cells. He said, David, why are you in prison? And David said, I don't know, Nabil, why are you in prison? He said, I'm in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his roommate called on and said, really, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so they began to have a dialogue about Jesus for 20 minutes. And you know what happened? At midnight, there was an earthquake, and all the prison doors came open. No. It didn't happen that way. 
And the Bill never did fully understand who he was speaking to that night. But he went on to a ministry of apologetics, going around the country, talking about why he believed what he believed. And he was so effective. And he, he wrote a book called Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus. But the story has a sad ending. Just two or three years ago, Nabil contracted cancer and died at a young age. And when I get to heaven, I, that's one of the questions I'm going to have for God. Why did you let that happen? But my question for you is, who's going to take his place? Who's going to step in and pray for the advancement of the gospel and pray for strength in the face of persecution that you will stand firm? Jesus promised, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this great church. I pray that you would lay a name on the hearts of many people in this, this room right now, a name of somebody who doesn't know you, a name of somebody who one day is going to die without hope. And may we do our part to see that the word of God is spread rapidly. And may we stand firm, even though some may oppose. Help us not to be afraid. Remember that Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
today to rekindle within us a desire to spread your message and your light to the rest of this world we know what Jesus Christ has done for us and we know that there are people who are lost and in darkness right now people in our very lives where we who we work with who are in our neighborhoods who are in our families who just need your light so God convict us every day to get up every morning and to spread your message to this world we are ready we are ready, but at the same time, there's so much for us to do to tell the world about you. We listen to this plan that you have for us, and we take it on gladly with a joyful heart. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys have a seat for a second? We're about to come into a time of communion. We do it a little bit different here at Capital City, and uh, I'm going to give you a chance to take a break and rest, and when you get up again, you go around this uh, room, and around the room, you'll see a variety of tables, and there's those tables there, there's uh, a lot of stuff that's on them, okay? Uh, and stuff that doesn't matter and stuff that does. So the things that do matter, we're going to come into this time of communion, and we're going to be reminded of what Jesus Christ has done on a cross, and his gift, his sacrifice uh, was getting, giving up his body and his blood. And a way for us to be able to memorialize that when we gather together is to take a little piece of bread to represent his body and a little, little bit of juice to represent his blood. And this way we're able to be reminded of what he has done for us. It's what makes us a part of this family. It's what makes us a, you know, how we have this vision together and this, uh, this purpose together. It all comes because of what Jesus Christ did on a cross. But it didn't end there. He died and was resurrected, and we want to be reminded of that and what he's doing within each of us every time that we gather. This resurrection, this family meal that we do is a way for us to always say, this is the forefront of our mind. So in a few moments, when you go to the tables, you'll find those two elements there. If this place is your home and you want to give an offering, 
to be able to do that in the black boxes that are at each of the stations. That's pretty traditional when it comes down to that type of stuff. But we want you to know, untraditionally, if you don't want to give, please do not give a single dollar. This is for people who want cheerfully to be able to give to uh, this uh, ministry and the things that are happening right here. And there's some other, uh, there's a white bucket there, the generous bucket. This is something outside of your typical offering that you would give. There's somebody in our need in this community that, uh, that needs some money. This, every one of those dollars that are in the generous buckets goes straight to that. So we are going to make sure that that's also something outside of the offering that you might be convicted to be able to give to people in need. That's going to be there as well. We want to be mindful of the fact that Jesus uh, has brought us together and what he has done. And so it's easy to kind of, once we get into these, these next few moments, to, s- to stop thinking about him. But I want to challenge you to stay focused in and to meditate on these few things that we've been talking about. Come, Jesus, come. I'm ready. I'm ready. Go ahead and stand up again now that you've had your rest. Let's go to the tables right now. Lifting me up from the ground Love is a 
I'll be seated for just a moment. This young lady wants to join us. Isn't that cool? This is Riley, and she wants to make Jesus Christ the king of her life. And I'm going to ask her to make that confession of faith that makes us family, gives us that kind of hope. I believe. I believe. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And I'm accepting him. And I'm accepting him. As my Lord and my Savior. As my Lord and my Savior. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're going to have a baptism in just a couple of weeks when she gets her family here. Isn't that going to be cool? I hope you're glad you're here this morning. By the way, there's going to be more this evening. Both uh, Bob and Rusty will be preaching this evening. Isn't that cool? And for now, you all need to go away. <laughs>